Welcome to Food and Loathing, the best-fed one-year-old you will ever meet. Like, seriously, if the Jenny Jones Show was still around doing disgusting coverage of fat babies, we would be submitting our one-year-old podcast to the producers, because we eat well, and we are packed full of stuff, and we are one year old today. Not really today, but this week. Yes, that's my way of saying we are celebrating our one-year anniversary today. More on that shortly. But first, let's get in some... You know what? I'm looking at this. It's time to just tear... You know... Yeah. You always wonder why I write these scripts so late in the day. It's because <laughs> even when I write them at 8 o'clock in the morning, things change. Yeah. Some and of us like to believe we thrive on deadlines, and some of us just suck on deadlines. I mean, the, I always get my stuff done for a deadline, but something that always changes before I get here. And yeah. like that, Rick Moonen is off having his... um is off having his Corvette um, serviced oh, right now, God. and he couldn't get out of here. But we are here coming to you from the site of our very first episode. Um, this is Resorts World. We were here on their opening night. That's where we recorded a lot of the very first episode of this. Um, it was me, Rich, Jason Harris, who you know was such a vital part of all those early podcasts. Um, we were doing a lot of cool stuff. We were excited. We were at the party, having a good old time, and then we snuck upstairs to record the end of it. I actually brought in my own booze. Every time I talk here, I feel like the publicist over there is like getting ready to ban me for the rest of my life from ever being in this in this resort. But that night, I brought a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue. If yeah. you remember, it was. A Sampling, airplane bottle, a puppy, and we had a little in beverage. I tried on the way in today to get some, but they didn't have an airplane bottle, so I got Macallan 12. See, this is a metaphor for the show. The, the blue was aspirational. The Mac 12 is sort of reality. Yeah, well, it's what I could get. Blue yeah. is what I love to have at home, but I can't afford it, so Mac 12 is what I do have at home. Okay, so right now, for Rich, let's yeah. have a one year. I can't believe we made it. Yeah. We, and every week, we put at least one episode out, and it was great, so let's do some Mac 12. Oh, nice and smooth. I love the Mac 12. I saw a Mac 30 on a wall the other day, and I thought, I'd like that too. And then I saw three numbers to the left of the decimal point for a shot, and I thought, I'll admire it from afar. Yeah, that's how I always feel when I look at McCallan lists. You know, I mean, yeah. oh, it can get it can get pricey up there. Um, but look at this. To go with this incredible yeah. um, scotch that we just drank, Mr. Joe Elevato, who's going to be joining us in the center segment of this show, but he just showed up with some food. And Joe, what do you got going? First of all, thank you. Thank you for yeah. hosting us today. We're in the wow. private dining room of Fuhu. It's a lot of fun to be here. Bring back some great memories of that night um, recording just yeah. one year ago today, which was such a fun night. And then I actually ended up that night listening to the podcast on my way home in the car. It was being, it was already played. That's how quick Rich is on the job. <laughs> yeah. So uh, these are some great memories, but I didn't get to eat any of your food that night, Joe. So what are you bringing out here, man? And right welcome. to left. What do you got here? All right. So uh, here we have our uh, Hokkaido scallops bantal. Bantal is a pillow, means pillow. So it's um, on a pillow cracker. It's filled with a little bit of a mazupanzu aioli. All right. A little mm. bit of a truffle pate. Do the play-by-play as you do the And colors. you've always made me good Hokkaido scallops. <laughs> right yeah. Hope these live up. Mm. So that's nice and fun. Nice and playful. Yeah. All kinds of little stuff in there. I have no idea. Uh, yeah, what is inside guy. that little pillow? There's a, a mazupanzu aioli mm-hmm. and a little bit of a sambal. Oh, yeah. my God. That's beautiful, Chef. Yeah. yeah. You're welcome. And then we have, um, you know, I'm Filipino, uh, obviously, but this is a play on a Filipino ceviche called kinilao. Mm-hmm. So this is a tuna uh, on a chicharron with a coconut and a, a ahi uh, amarillo 
uh, sauce. It's like a little micro taco. Why not? Wow, I'm about to start talking about some Filipino food. Have you been to Gary Lamort's um, pop-up No, I yet? haven't. I, I heard about that. I was just there this past weekend, oh, but that's let's awesome. see. Right. And I'm not going to say whose is better, one way or another, because <laughs> I, I don't need to get... Right on. Oh, yeah. Crunch there. Mmm. And then, you know what? I have to get you guys some spoons, but this is our... Um, our short rib that I did in the same style of oh. our lamb. So um, it's uh, marinated in like cumin, coriander, um, and a bunch of other spices. And then it um, is served with a sticky sauce that's made with gula malaka, which is a coconut um, sugar. Let me get, get you guess some spoons. Cool. Well, that first of all, that um, chicharron was oh, great. My, my. Delicious. A little spicy. So any chance I get a little water, too? Oh. I hate putting this poor guy to work. but um. Yeah. Oh, look at this. He's got a hidden fridge right oh, over wow. here. Yum. Oh, no. It's hidden pantry for spoons. Oh, we got forks. Forks. We need forks. Okay. Okay. So short rib. Yeah, yeah. This is and a hearty-looking little dish here. And a little mm. stuff on the bottom. All right, let's see. Oh, that is some stick-to-your-ribs food. Absolutely, yeah. The short rib, the, the oh, fattiness wow. of the short rib compared mm -hmm. to, uh, with all the, you know, the spices. and Always, you know, cumin always comes, you know, kind of a slap on the face. This is just a little massage. <laughs> Absolutely. I like that. Awesome. Well, mm. this is excellent, Chef, and I know you're going to come back and chat with us a bit more about your food momentarily. Now we're going to talk. Well, we're going to eat. Oh, you're going to talk. I'm going to eat. I'm still eating. Rich is still eating. Yeah. Uh, but it's time to, for us to get around to talking about um, some of the things we've done this week. So we'll have you back momentarily, Chef, but thank you for giving us yeah, yeah, yeah. to tide us over, man. You're welcome. Enjoy. Thanks, Chef. All right. Where have we been? I have been... I want to talk about for one second. I just got, I did this little bit of research. Most, but not all, of the places we have been in a year mm -hmm. started here at the Resorts World, Piero's, Metro Pizza, Cannabis Dispensary. The name escapes me because they, you know, had cannabis. Le <laughs> uh, Thai, Bulldogies, Good Pie, Other Mama, Circus, Sushi Samba, Ellis Island, Chinglish, Haleo, Carver Steak, Black Sheep. Vegas Test Kitchen, Valley Cheese and Wine, Artisanal Foods, literally on Main Street, Al, uh, Al's house, Rick's house, and my house. Distill? Distill, yes. Um, yeah, and that's just, yeah, those are just the places we've recorded. The people that we've spoken to, I honestly was about yeah. to put out, like, I was trying to get a list together for a press release, right, so we could, like, brag, and I didn't have time. And, <laughs> yeah. and I, like, literally, I mean, you think about this. We probably have, between pre-recorded interviews and guests in the studio and centerpiece segments, I, I don't think it would be an exaggeration to say we've averaged five serious chefs per week on this show. And that's an average. Average, yeah. For, because there are weeks that we have 10 or 12. Um, so, I mean, I would, th and now, of course, some of those are repeat yeah. guests, but I mean, I feel like anybody, if, if, if you're a serious chef and you haven't been on this, oh, we also recorded Other Mama. Yeah. Um, we forgot that one. But any serious chef that hasn't been on this show, it ain't because if it's because we haven't asked you, then call me and kick my ass. Because, I mean, I feel like I'm sorry I haven't invited you. We have had the best of the best. Yes. Two entire episodes, two centerpieces with Jose Andreas. I mean, that, yeah. that comes to mind. But just I couldn't start naming them because I could not get it together. Nobody was going to read a press release that was that fucking long. But I am proud, <laughs> very proud of the body of work that we have put together. I don't know if I'm proud of the way yeah. that I was on that oh, body of work or my own performance, but the, the great talent that we've had on this podcast in just one year, I will put it against any 
culinary podcast in America. You find one who has had more quality chefs than we've had on, then I'm going to buy that person a drink yeah. the next time they're in Las Vegas because I don't know who the hell has. And unless we're in New York or L.A., and even L.A., we'd be at that. We don't have to leave town to do that to find those people because they live here. And yet we did. We went to Napa. Yeah. And we got a whole bunch of celebrities up in Napa as well. If you think about it, man. <laughs> Forgot but, about that already. Yeah, let's toot our own freaking horns. Yeah, it's, just, yeah. it's an anniversary. And, and thank you for letting me come along with for the ride because I've met so many places, uh, people and been to so many places that I would never have gotten to in that amount of time otherwise. I know. It's tiring, right? Did you okay, have you gained any weight from doing this podcast? Fucking kidding me. Jesus. <laughs> you talk about the you know, the, the the freshman fifteen or the newlywed uh, whatever. I what is it? 2025. The food and loathing 25. Yeah. I'll just say the food and loathing 20. Okay. okay. All right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I am sad. You know, I did mention Jason Harris. We, we owe him a, a huge debt for getting us off the ground with this thing. He did some great stuff. I'm really sad that Rick Moonen could not be here with us today. He's literally at the car shop and waiting for his boner. <laughs> yeah. um, he was going to come. But Rick has co-hosted more episodes yeah. probably than anybody else. And it's always great to have his voice and just so many other great co-hosts that we've had. We've had a lot of fun with them. Uh, but now Now's the time when we talk about what we have done this week. And um, Rich, since you and I hobnobbing with the beautiful people, do you think it's fair to say that Friday at Wakuda was a hobnobbing with the beautiful people kind of experience? It's the first time I've ever seen you in a suit. You still I, had a T-shirt on, but you had an actual pe- jacket and pants that matched. Yeah, no shit, man. I put on, you know, I've, I've told people this before. My rules are black jeans, black T-shirt everywhere I go. Nice restaurant, throw in a black blazer, you get through anything with a decent black blazer. Yeah. Michelin-starred restaurant, Michelin-starred chef. Yeah, I pull out the suits, and I just bought three nice new suits post-COVID because yeah. I realized my COVID weight was not going anywhere. <laughs> Time to yeah. buy some suits that fit me how they are. And I think you had me in my kind of Oscar Goodman pinstripe, I was going right? to say, like, that was, was you were channeling Oscar right there. As we record this, I'll be at Oscar's. Uh, tomorrow night to uh, one of his dinner series things. Don't worry, they're all sold out. You really got to jump on those things. But he's going to talk about the bodies in the barrel in Lake Meads. Yeah. <laughs> so well, whenever I wear that black kind of chalk stripe suit yeah, yeah. that I wear, uh, I love it. It makes me think I'm either with Roger Stone, and I choose to think <laughs> yeah. that I'm with him at an God, orgy, yeah. not at a not in the White House, yeah. <laughs> um, and, or um, with Oscar Goodman, or right? You're, or, or you're you know you're practicing for uh, the community theater uh, guys and dolls. Yeah, you're going Nathan Detroit. No, but I, yeah, okay. But um, no, man, I like to dress up if it's a decent place. Of course, I always wear a t shirt, man. What am I going to wear a fucking tie? All right. Fuck that noise. But um, how great was that party? That was great. We saw, we tasted the chef himself, uh, Wakuta san, was putting the, the finishing dubs on pieces of sushi. Uh, what was the the little chicken wings were wonderful. I saw the 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 kitchen is up against a very thick piece of glass, and I could barely touch the glass. It was so hot because the the robotas and the the, the grills were right there. I'm yeah, like, so there's an uh, there's a sushi bar area and then an open kitchen where the grills are. Um, yeah, Chef Wakuda, as you said, and like that's the mark of a uh, of a chef's chef, right? He was not out there. Sh- I mean, I'm sure he shook some hands. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But when I saw him, he was attending to every piece of sushi yes. and literally to individual pieces of nigiri, putting the last brush of soy sauce on them and things like that. I mean, that's to me, that says a lot. And when you taste them and you could tell that that attention to detail yeah. was put in, clearly he has an amazing team there, but when he more so than the socializing or the basking in the 
adulation of yeah. his fans, he was working. Well, back up again. This is uh, Wakuda, named after Chef Wakuda. It is in the lobby of the Palazzo. It is the old... Uh, the French restaurant that was there. It was Morel's Steakhouse, Morel, one of the steakhouse. four steakhouses that were in. Oh, okay, Palazzo at yeah, that yeah. Time. And it was uh, their French one. Yes, I love Morel's, but I the, love Morel's for the cheese and the oysters. I okay. will miss it for both of those. It had yeah. great programs. Yes, programs. so it is open, and you got to go where I was not allowed to go, and that is the super secret five hundred dollar uh, uh, breathing body omakase room. Yeah, I got a nice little tour of the omakase room, also of the private bar that's back there by the omakase room, and then the PDR, which is attached but you're they're not supposed to be part of the same thing but yeah. you can get from you could sneak from one to the other um you know a lot's been made and we, we said this last week when we spoke to chef um wakuda a lot's been made about this 500 dollars tasting but i mean that's a small room that does yeah, that yeah, and yeah. they you know it holds i think no more than 10 people the vast majority of people who are going to wakuda are not going for a 500 yeah. ahead tasting menu um now so that does put it in a price range that that sets it above robichon as the highest tasting menu i think it may be the the most expensive tasting menu in Las Vegas. Don't let that put you off. I haven't seen the prices for the sushi. Actually, I will be up there. I will be dining at Wakuda this week. So hopefully by next week, yeah. I'll be able to let you know. Um, I won't be paying. I'll be fair to assess yeah, yeah, that, but I will but at least know what the prices are. The, the hunks of salmon, I think I had that and maybe a, a scallop thing. And, you know, you wonder, well, it's just a piece of salmon. How can it be this much when it's that much on the strip? Well, you taste that stuff and you say, oh, now I understand. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's what I always try to get across to people. You know, you pay, pay look, paying for names is silly sometimes, but paying for quality is not. Quality ingredients and high, you know, and, and quality yeah. preparation. Those are the things. And, you know, everybody I know who's known Chef Wakuda, no, granted, there are people who tend to work with him, but, you know, they tell me his attention to detail of inspecting the ingredients when they come in, yeah. of actually calling back to the farm where the A5 cow was raised to make sure that the birth certificate is legit. I mean, like yeah. this is a guy that leaves no stone unturned with looking for quality. And as I was going off in that direction, as we he told me last week, you don't have to go in for a five hundred dollar meal. You can go in, you can get a cocktail and a couple pieces of sushi. They've got that really very kind of New York hipster bar off yeah, to the very left when you come in. Too. Yeah, yeah, very separate. The setup of the place in many ways reminds me of Mott Thirty Two, which is just kind of next door or yeah. like a short walk away but that they have that very hip bar lounge area and that very you know you could be nightlife night out on the town or you can go in for light snacks or you can go in and do a totally blowout expensive menu if you want to wakuda palazzo be there aloha yeah and i will be dining there um <laughs> hopefully within the next i think 48 hours so by the oh, time yeah. we come back here i uh, will have some stuff to tell you about that. Uh, before the rest, I get to the rest of my culinary adventures for the past week. Rich, where have you been, man? Well, my wife and I got to a place uh, we talked about a few episodes ago. Marigold Fine Indian Cuisine. A little tiny place at Flamingo and Decatur. Maybe 30 seats, if that, mostly booths. And it is, to be kind, a very uh, Spartan place. Minimal service. I think the server was also the owner. We went in for a lunch. When you want water, they give you a bottle of Kirkland, you know, right from Costco. When you want my Diet Coke, I got a can of Diet Coke. No ice, no uh, glass, I asked. Uh, no buffet, no lunch menu. It's all full-size dinner portions, even at noon. And all that said, the stuff was marvelous. Uh, I went with the usual suspect, chicken tikka masala, very buttery, just a little kick. Joanna had the goat vindaloo, wonderful sauce. Claimed to be like eight on a scale of ten, but was very manageable and 
lot of stuff going on. The non was perfect. Eight on a scale of ten for heat, but it yeah. was manageable. Yeah. Okay. It was. In fact, my I, so like a pussy like me could go in and get a three or four and not. Yeah, yeah, you'd yeah. be fine. The yeah. the uh, goat was little chunks with small bones. That was a little challenging. The non was great. We had a, a side that was sort of an onion dough fritter. The name of that escapes me, but uh, it was really nice. Worth a stop. I would recommend uh, takeout for dinner, leftovers the next day like I did. That is Marigold Fine Indian Cuisine at Flamingo and Decatur. Somewhere in the middle of what you were talking about, I got distracted by another one of these scallops. You better not take that last one, pastry. dude. It I was will hurt you. so amazing. Joe yeah. Alvado knocking it out of the park, as he always does. Um, but I, it is worth noting, even you maybe you said this already, I don't know, because yeah. I was just falling into no, a food coma there. It was so beautiful. Wow. But it's worth noting, Marigold is on the Neon Feast app, and among the local foodies who recommended it, Brandon Powers, who called it Las Vegas' best-kept secret and said it's easily the top Indian restaurant amongst all of my, meaning his, world, the expert. Yeah, I would go with that. So, um, yeah, and interestingly enough, that place got enough votes that it ended up on um, Neon Feast without me ever going into it because I trusted the people who recommended it. So I still haven't been there yet. So um, I got to check it out. Um, and now you can, we're going to do the T-shirt in that. No, no suit needed. No, no, I will not be putting a suit on for Marigold. <laughs> I do not think. Unless they got a Michelin star that I don't know about. Yeah. Um, look, what have I done? Let's start with an amazing wine dinner. I attended at Chinglish. Ken Heck, you know, he really does know his wines. He loves to talk about his wines, um, but he also loves to bring in other people to talk about his wines. So he brought in the folks from um, Copper Cane Wines. I got to say, wine dinners tend to be wasted on me, as I was yeah. never a big, big wine drinker before. Now I'm not so much of a drinker in general. But I sipped from Sue's. You know, so me going to a wine dinner and paying for it is definitely like me kind of throwing some money out yeah, the yeah. window. But, I mean, it was $150 a head wine dinner. I got to have some amazing Chinglish food. Um, the wines that I tasted were very, very good. Uh, they raised some money for charity. They were at the tail end of restaurant week. You know, Ken had been handed some magnums of wine from the winery, and rather than keep them or sell them, he auctioned them off for restaurant week. A lot of his high roller kind of customers were in there bidding and tons you. of money yeah. on there. I know me sitting next to them being like the little mascot. Rich people love weird guys. Yeah. Rich people <laughs> love to sit next to weird guys. And I told them all about Neon Feast, and that was awesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I sip wine from Sue's Glass. It was great. Keep your eyes on Chinglish because when they do these special events, it's great. You know, they have one coming up next week. They're going to be doing, I think it's like a beer garden kind of party on their patio to raise money for, um, I'm not going to get the name of the organization right, but it's Women on Las Vegas Metro Police Department, right? So there's a, yeah. there's a Women Officers Corps or something like that, yeah. and they like to raise money for them. So, you know, that, keep your eyes open for that one next week. And then for my weekend, I checked into the Palms to explore a few more of the things we've been talking about. I and mean, it's so rich. Don't you feel this way? We talk about shit so often, and then you're like, I got to go back and actually do it up. yeah yeah not do just it drive like by. a tourist and not necessarily do it as the always do it as the tasting menu type of situation yeah. or guest to the chef just actually go so we got a room at the we got a room at the palms and we just kind of hung out there and we we had a you know a drink at the bar at mabel's barbecue which was great we were in scotch 80 prime twice to just drink at their bar we didn't i, I told them don't send me out any food because we have other meals pending um yeah. we had i had that pad thai from send noodles it was excellent. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Really I really enjoyed that. that. Yeah. Um, and then I went in for um, Chef Gary Lamort's Filipino pop-up, Makatas, which is in Green Street as part of the Vegas Test Kitchen pop-up series. Uh, look, I, had, I only have one complaint, and I'm afraid it says more about me than it does about Green Street. The music was a bit too loud. And this is from a guy who used to stand on stage at Motorhead concerts. Yeah. You know, so, but the music was a bit too loud um, for us to have a decent conversation. I was, in fact, seated directly in front of the stage, so... 
I'm sure if you were further back, it was fine. Um, that would be my only gripe. And it's not really a gripe. That's just, I guess I don't like getting old. Um, but, you know, it was great. The, the Filipino cuisine was great. Um, and so thanks to those guys for that. I also um, got to check out the poolside dining at Soak. Don't call it chaos. Don't call it chaos. Call it Soak. <laughs> and yeah, you, you, they just flipped the letters around. God, you're right. Soak. Look at that. Yes. <laughs> I know. It's a little bit of a, pal- not a palindrome. So chaos would be a palindrome. But um, anyway, they're calling that. We went up. We, we had a good time. We we got one of those um, second floor cabanas. Like where we recorded, the, right? Yeah, but we were up on the ones up above. Oh, way up there. And yeah, so we yeah. got to actually look down on people. As oh, I'll that's mention right. later, I liked, I love looking down on people. Um, and it was, it was really cool. Also, a lot of families at the pool. I think this is one of the best kept secrets in Vegas that that pool is, you know, so reasonably priced for people to get into. It's free during the week. And, um, on weekends, it's only 15 bucks if you're not a hotel guest. Yeah. And it was, it was great to hang out there. We had some dim sum by the pool. That was a lot of fun. We had a Wagyu burger by the pool. Um, one of my vegan friends, Claudine, showed up, and she had some vegan dishes by the pool. And, yeah, it was great, man. So that was a lot of fun. I It was nice to get out. I actually spent um, spent an entire day not working, just hanging out Whoa. by the pool. That was fun. Look at you. But I'm talking about it now, so then we're still writing it off. <laughs> right? Mr. IRS, man. Is that allowed? Yeah. Um, and I think that's about it. Coming up, Loco is restructuring, and they want local restaurants on board. And we're going to talk to James Trees about going camping, kind of. But first, let's talk to some of the Resorts World chefs about their first year of operations. This is Food and Loathing. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Happy anniversary to nobody wants to hear yeah, me saying we'll I, keep that part out no, of it. No, hey. no, no, we, but it is time to um to <laughs> to wish the McAllen already speaking, huh? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> time to wish the official happy anniversary to our friends at Resorts World. We are joined here in the um what are we in the private dining room at Fuhu? Private dining room, yes, which, sir. which is quite beautiful. Um, we are joined right now by Chef Devin Hashimoto, who is the executive chef for Resorts World, and also Chef Joe Elvado, who is um Joe. You are the Zook Group's corporate executive chef. Is that the deal? Yeah, I'm the executive chef for Zook Group. It's the nightlife right. um, entity for the hotel. Right. And you also run Fuhu, where we are sit- sitting right now. Um, you guys, I go back with it. Devin, I've been trying to figure out how far back you and I go. Where, where, When did we first get... What did I do wrong in one of your restaurants <laughs> first? How, how far back do we go, man? I think probably since back in 05. 
yeah at, over at the across the street over at Wynn. right okay yeah um so it's great to see you again joe you and i probably go back just as as far i remember social house and over the years man you both of you guys have fed me so many great meals and like they're they're just flashback memories i have like there you know i was so new to food writing when i first met both of you so being in your restaurants was always like this great exhilarating experience i was learning about new ingredients every time that i dined at one of your places you you definitely epitomized the high end and joe for you you've always epitomized to me the the nightlife meets um dining scene and how you can be like so incredibly cool and incredibly hip and cater to the celebrities and all that but still have amazing quality ingredients and great preparations you i i can still remember first time i ever had a hokkaido sea scallop was a dish of yours like i remember yeah. ingredients that you introduced me to i think you were on hand at one of, at an impossible tasting that i was at like Corrected one of the first yeah. times impossible burgers was yep. ever eaten in las vegas uh you you helped make that one for me so you guys are you are kind of a culinary royalty and it's great to have you both in this building here at resorts world and it's great to have you on on this podcast welcome thank you very thank much you so much thank you. thanks um so how's the first year been let's just start there let's go with you Devin. it's been uh it's been a great ride um you know it's it, we had our challenges in the beginning but i think you know we've uh business has come back um you know trying to get all these guests to, to try all the different food and beverage offerings you know 40 plus offerings here on the property so it's it's a pretty uh, large scale, but I think we've done fantastic. Um, great feedback from a lot of guests, locals, um, and convention guests that are that I had the opportunity to talk with. Um, they're very, very happy. Cool. And and for you, uh, Joe, has was nightlife even officially open when the resort opened a year ago? Like, was Zook was that happening? I can't even remember because we were no, in the middle no. of some weirdness at that time. You yeah, know? not at the time. Um, Zook the nightclub, we opened that um, I think a few months after the grand opening. Um, but Fuhu um, and Redtail, you know, we were in full swing. And, uh, you know, with the nightlife thing, we kind of tried to incorporate those elements into the restaurant so that there was a place that people could come to enjoy that kind of vibe and, and right. scene. And the day club has been going for a while now, right? Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. in our second season now. Yeah. Which is great because it's kind of right out the back door of where we're sitting right now at Fuhu. You have an amazing patio and it's a great place to kind of go out. When you, when you get old like me, like for me to do a day club. Right. I either need the um, the elevated cabana up top with my own <laughs> private plunge pool or some shit where I can look down on the minions. Like I, I need to be higher than the DJ. I feel like it's sometimes in, in many ways at sometimes. Least, but at um, least you don't need the little elevator to sit on to go up the five no, steps yet. No. But the other way that I like to do day clubs is um, find a good restaurant that's attached to the day club and sit out on the patio and have a civilized day club experience. And you have that going on right here at Fuhu. Yeah, absolutely. Our, our patio is adjoined to IU and, um, you know, especially during our brunch, you can really get that vibe of the DJs going and the music. And, you know, we have those cabanas perfect for you right up top where you can look down on the minions and, and yeah. hang out. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm all about, man. I just need to get that kind of money. I need the money that can support my lifestyle or my tastes, I should say. I need my lifestyle to live up to my tastes, which means I need the money to the Yeah, OK. Absolutely. The, I got you. Yeah. The whole thing. I don't know. It's not not happening yet. But whoop. We'll make it happen one of these days. Um, so 
I guess first thoughts, looking back on a year where we were a year ago when this place opened from a culinary perspective, because I think you guys opened strong mm -hmm. dining wise. I mean, I love the brunch you were doing here at Fuhu right off the bat. Thank you know, I'd like to simply, you know, and I've written this on, on Neon Feast and other places. Just knowing that Joe Alvedo is in the house means that I'm already going to be like loving a restaurant. I've, I've been loving your food for a long time. I've been loving the vibe and atmosphere. But you guys opened strong. You had a solid, you had Nicole Brisson crushing it. You had Fuhu over here, Wally which by the way does it so much better of a food program than I was expecting like a lot of you know wine retailer comes in we're, we're from Beverly Hills we're rich we're <laughs> yeah, yeah, famous yeah. people like me we're, we're also gonna have good food and you know I wrote that article and I quoted them saying that nobody told me it was gonna be Eric Lulier in the um in the kitchen <laughs> or maybe I would have yeah. taken that more seriously but the minute I came in without knowing it was Eric I was like holy shit they were not full of shit this is like solid food you do not have to be a wine person to dig it so you started with a lot of really really strong venues and then they just keep adding you know um, of course you open up cigar bar as a, as a a bar me menu then um carver steak opened up um, mm -hmm. things just keep coming and happening and it's been growing mm -hmm. nonstop um is that a a sign that the the customer base is growing or is this just nope they were on the calendar they were supposed to open at this time i mean you know can we can we infer anything from the fact that your culinary program has been expanding so much in just one year absolutely absolutely i think it's i think it's a little bit of both right because we knew that every hotel has to kind of have your 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 steakhouse right your 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 base foundation where everyone looks for you know a piece of steak i think for the most part all our restaurants have you know something to offer our guests but i think we've been listening to a lot of our you know feedback from the guests um and to be able to offer something that's really unique and diverse um something for everyone to to try right um granted we just opened up crossroads you know the first plant-based vegan restaurant here on the strip um, Tall's been a great friend for both of us. We've known him for quite a long time. Yep. Um, and just to have him finally get his own place and to be at Resorts World, again, just adds that diversity to our culinary program that gives something for everyone to have, right? You've had a variety, of, a small variety of changes for a small variety of reasons. A couple of people just didn't live up. Mm -hmm. A couple of ideas go, well, that was a great idea, but the people don't like it. What, what, when is the tipping point on something like that? Like about four different changes in the food hall? The food hall, yes. So, you know, again, that was something where we just wanted to add, you know, again, we, food and beverage, right? We're told in culinary school, 80% of the, the restaurants that open within the first year, they don't make it, unfortunately, right? You just have to have the right niche, the right market, the right product, right, that you market off. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, but we wanted to definitely add on um, for the reason of just, you know, listening to what guests were, 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 were bringing to our attention. A little feedback here and there, right? What, what fits great? Ramen, right? Pho is a great, technically a, a nice stall, right? In Southeast Asia, in Japan, right? So they fit the mold of what Famous Food was all about. And I think it just made sense to kind of add that to our, to our big, you know, uh, repertoire of, of, of amazing, you know, food halls. Well, that mold was, as originally announced, it was going to be a lot of 
Southeast Asian, or if not beyond, if you want to go beyond Southeast Asia, definitely Pacific Rim mm-hmm. cuisines, right? Yep, um, so there were a lot of those, and then there were a few outliers, right? And mm-hmm. some of those outliers have made it, some of them have not. Um, you know, we, we all miss James Trees being in there, but then again, we can eat at a lot of other restaurants, so yep. that's awesome. But he, he d- didn't quite fit with all the um, mm-hmm. Pacific Rim stuff. Then again, Marcus Samuelson didn't quite fit with all the Pacific Rim stuff, and he's right. still over there doing things. So Fun. are you trying to focus it more on the Pacific Rim or, you know, I I wouldn't say, I mean, it it does seem like it, right? I mean, it's kind of like obvious, like, however, you know, again, the theme and the idea was set upon, you know, hawker style, you know, a food, food hall, right? And that was the vision. And that was the foundation of how our chairman had viewed famous foods to be. And it has evolved to that. However, we did want to offer something for everyone, right? You know, again, if you come to famous foods and you weren't really hot about Asian cuisine, Marcus Samuelson has a fantastic fried chicken sandwich. I think one of the best in the town. Um, you got Blood Brothers, right? The barbecue, phenomenal. You got a burger place now. You I got saw a, a lot of burgers around correct. this afternoon. And again, that's feedback that we get from guests, from our own, you know, um, team members here. I think it will be, you know, would be wise to have a burger concept there for those that kids that want to have a burger and the f- parents want to eat charcoal towel, mm-hmm. you know. Kids want to have something to eat. And and you not. need a burger place because you had a dedicated burger place and it, or, or a, a burger specialty place, which mm-hmm. was Marigold. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the first to go being replaced by television. There is a certain irony that the burgers are out and the plant-based <laughs> is in, right? Like talk about shifting political winds or customer tastes or whatever it is. Um, and, you know, I don't want to get into the dirt of business deals. It's none of, nobody really cares about that. Um, but you did mention about, you know, having the chance to bring Marcus or excuse me, to bring Tal Ronan in. Um, and that begs the question, how important is plant-based dining right now? Because Marcus is selling plant-based nuggets, and he and I spoke about that in your food court. You have Craig's doing vegan ice cream. I mean, if you are vegan, and then you bring in Crossroads Kitchen, mm-hmm. which yep. to my vegan friends, that's sort of like a holy grail. Like they, they love going out to LA and going to Melrose because they felt like, it wasn't a niche restaurant. It wasn't just a hippie vegan restaurant. It wasn't, it was just a great restaurant where mm-hmm. everything they could eat, right? Yep. Um, so, but what's that say about the market and how the appetite for plant-based dining in Las Vegas? And Joe, are, I mean, you're, you deal to a very hip crowd as well. So yep. I got to think there are a lot of plant-based people that want you to make sure you recognize them within your restaurants too. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's um, every day there's always more and more coming um, I think it hasn't stopped, you know, since we did Steve Wynn days when we were working across the street, uh, you know, that that type of cuisine is just booming now. And I think, um, you know, we have a whole section dedicated to, in our menu to that. So, yeah. And w- w- what's the thinking on the hotel side wide? I mean, is this a big portion of your segment that, that of, of your audience that you need to cater to? Absolutely. Absolutely. And like Chef mentioned, you know, I think it's it's just growing and, and ever so evolving. I mean, you, you see Burger King, I the impossible, right? All these chain restaurants are throwing something vegan into their menu to have something available for everyone to try. All right. And and when you go to Crossroads, I mean it's it's mind blowing. It's take it's his creativity. You know, he has dishes solely for Las Vegas that he doesn't have at the Melrose mm-hmm. location. You know, he has like the, the, the chips and the caviar, right? He does the foie gras, his version of the foie to be playful. It's a chestnut puree with cherries. And yeah. I mean, it's just cre- creative, right? And I get people would say, oh, I'm vegan. Why would I want to be reminded of a foie gras? But it's playfulness, right? And the creativity of the chef to say, how can I make something that people are familiar with that are, you know, 
carnivores that would you know enjoy something that's that's vegan but it's again showing his nature of how to be creative and 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 be playful as as somewhat of a logistics geek one of the things that that struck me when this place opened was the the promise that if you're in the hotel and you're a guest you can order from any place in the in the joint any of the food stalls any of the restaurants that sounds like that was a lot of trouble how's that gone over the year it's it's great. I mean, you know, granted, we're still it's still work in progress, right? We have little kinks here and there, but I think we've gone a long way since you know that f- our first year, um, and the vision is is fantastic, right? You come to a hotel property, and instead of having your traditional in room dining, you have a, a platform where you can get any food from any restaurant, any time of the day, via you know on the fly. Right. Um, you know, I don't want to get too much. I want to stick to mostly talking about food. But if we're telling a story about Resorts World and about its first year of operations, you know, you open in the middle of a pandemic. Biz- we were not back to where we were supposed to be. And immediately people start, going, oh, how are they doing? Well, you know, it's kind of hard to tell how they're doing when they have a tunnel to a convention center that's not really working. And when they have a huge Asian clientele that might not be able to travel here during like it, I, I've said to people like until until society catches up with your business plan, like it's hard to tell how this place is doing. I certainly don't want to talk about the business aspect, except to how it affects food. Does having more conventioners mean more steakhouses, right? Does having, when you get more Asian travelers, does that mean Genting Palace kind of has to ramp up and that the Fuhus or wherever have to be prepared for more? How have the business trends affected the customer demands for food? I mean, you, you've been in this town long enough where you obviously asked the right question, right? Those are exactly what, you know, the, we are based upon conventions and, you know, the volume of traffic coming into this town and coming to our hotel will definitely bring guests that are, that might not want to have the convention based, you know, meals that are planned and be inquisitive to try Wally's Fuhu, go to Carver Steak. So it definitely brings those type of clientele having them come to the property definitely boosts up the culinary program. And you mentioned it, you know, when Far East opens up, you know, when it's fully open, Genting Palace will, will be will be cranking, which, you know, we're definitely excited for. And conventions for the month of March came out of nowhere, came out of nowhere. And we were ecstatic um, and it's only gotten better. Uh, bookings for the, the the remainder of the month is strong. So Bodies into the hotel are great, yeah. you know, bodies into yeah. the, and it just builds the curiosity. And sometimes you see the bookings and we've seen trends where if the booking, you know, the convention is Tuesday through Thursday, some guests will stay through the weekend and, you know, enjoy the time, their leisure time, dine at the restaurant. So we definitely see a, a trend when convention is busy, the, the the restaurants are busy. You guys have been around. This is for, you are so close to the convention center. It seems more appropriate that I ask you this question. And I don't know if I've never asked anybody this. Just an assumption I've always made is that the reason steakhouses and certain types of restaurants tend to do so well among conventioneers is they want to spend a lot of money on clients, but they don't want to put anything in front of them that might confuse them, right? Like you never quite know. You, I don't know that I would want to bring a... Um, a potential client who I hadn't met before into a guisevoir, right? Or um, a place like that. But I know that I could bring them to a great steakhouse, bring them to a Carver steak, and they're going to find stuff that they like. Is there a certain like cooking to the highest end of accessible food that conventioners demand? Or am I just making too many assumptions there? 
it totally makes sense, right? Their, their comfort level within their, uh, I guess, their groups or, or their clientele. Um, it totally makes sense because if you bring someone to Guy Savoie they, or, or, or uh, Pierre Gagnier, right, they won't yeah. know what Venice is. Blood catch your place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be good, but cool. You know. uh, Rich is blowing up over there, man. Yeah. Get that phone. Yeah. Uh, so, Joe. Let's talk about, you have a long history of working among the, the club meets foodie crowd. And I think right. that there was a time, certainly, there's probably a time before Wynn added clubs, right? Where people didn't think that the club crowd would ever mingle over into the high-end, sophisticated dining. We now know that that was a mistake and that, you know, clearly they do. But what are the unique things that, that you have to think about when you're cooking for a club crowd? Well, you know, um, as you know, m most of the restaurants that I've been in charge of, we've all done family style, right? Even beginning with Nobu. Um, even Nobu back then was uh, not a club restaurant or what have you, but it was high energy, uh, you know, super fun. So And definitely where bands went when they got off stage, yeah, absolutely. right? So, yeah. Good times. But, uh, you know, I tried to kind of kind of translated that to the stuff that I was doing, you know, tried to keep the food uh, approachable and fun, interactive, and just, you know... Um, just a just a good you know I, I believe in just good cooking and just flavors right I'm Filipino so bold flavors and uh, you know just really family style having everybody enjoy together that's what I've been trying to really do so cool um, for those who know your cuisine from the other restaurants and I you know again we, we I forgot to mention Nobu I mentioned Social House and you were of course at Andreas at Win you were briefly over at Jing yeah. for a little while which was great because I could get your food in the burbs that was <laughs> right. a lot of fun for me. Um, how is the how is what you offer here in Fuhu um, along the same lines as those other restaurants, or is you doing and taking a different turn here? I, I think definitely along the same lines. You know, just trying to offer quality and uh, also again nice, awesome flavors. You know, one of our dishes that we do here, um, we've taken a recipe from the original Fuhu in Genting, um, Malaysia, and it's um, a sticky lamb chop, and it's like marinated with cumin, coriander. Uh, you know. And then it's served with a sticky sauce that's made with gula malaka, which is a like a, a coconut sugar. And uh, we we took that recipe, the original recipe, and it was originally done with um, uh, lamb shank. And we took it and we made lamb chops with it. And I think it became more, for in my opinion, it is a more elevated dish. And so that's what we try to do: elevate the food, but also keep it uh, simple at the same time. Um, and also, is it important to you to keep it light if they're going to go out dancing afterwards or anything? Or no, is it like, not necessarily? It no, I mean, people are slamming tomahawks right before yeah. the club, so okay. it's you know, oh man, to be young again, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Able to do that, right? Not fall asleep after that tomahawk, <laughs> which I just to did have a home. lower GI that can handle it. Oh, those were the days, oh, uh, those were in fact the days. <laughs> I want to talk about red tail, right? Because I, I know you, I knew what to expect of your food a little bit, and coming into Fuhu, I felt like, okay, this is a Joe Alvedo restaurant, right. but um, Red Tail is something very different and kind of almost has a an elevated pub feel to it. I mean, do you think that's fair? Like a, a very high-end sports bookie Absolutely, pub, kind yeah. of, sports bar pub kind of attitude. You've got the, I don't know, cornhole or whatever kind of cornhole. That meant a totally different thing when I was younger. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the great cornholio. <laughs> um, you no, know, you've got all that kind of stuff, right? And yeah. it, so it's, it, it, I think, I feel like it's more casual, right? You yes, could go in if you're in your shorts or whatever, you know, you feel pretty comfortable in there. Oh, What's yeah. the, what did you try to accomplish with the cuisine over at Red? Tail. And wh where are you trying to capture people in their night at Red Tail? Sure. Yeah, no, um, the, the food is exactly how you said it. It's almost like a gastro puppy, but not so 
um, out there. It's um, a lot of burgers, a lot of uh, great apps like uh, Pokey Nachos, uh, just regular chicken nachos, uh, um, wings. We have a great wing program over there. So I just tried to keep the food simple and, you know, things you would find in a, in a sports bar, you know, and, and also kind of uh, give a little bit of, uh, you know, upscale flavor to it but without making it too too crazy you know right see there's a program i could actually get behind a wing program <laughs> a wing program yeah i will yeah. i will don't say the word program in front of rich's head explodes <laughs> yeah. it's the whole thing it's like some people do with pronouns rich does that yeah, with yeah. programs I do with it's, pronouns. The whole, <laughs> it's the whole thing um karaoke night you guys have a karaoke night over yep. there right man i have not done that i haven't karaoke in a while i don't think i've been drunk enough to karaoke in a while it's <laughs> the problem um but do you karaoke do either of you guys come in for karaoke night and i want to know what your go-to songs are back in college that was <laughs> yeah i haven't done it in a long time no I'm, I'm the same too i haven't i haven't been in the karaoke i've been in them but i haven't yeah. sung in them but i think if i did have a song i would sing it would probably be like uh weezer say it ain't so or like frank sinatra <laughs> my way or something right but you do um <laughs> do sid vicious's version of my way <laughs> that, would, that would be even better absolutely I think that would be the way to do it man um or what was your song what was my song? Yeah. I don't really know. I don't honestly think I ever karaoke where I was sober enough to remember what the songs I <laughs> did. Answer. And we Same. used to do karaoke back in New York City in the East Village, like in the 90s, where, and you could still do it here where you get the entire booth, the entire right. room, right? So it's private. Yeah. So you could bring in whatever booze you wanted. We could bring in whatever drugs we wanted. We could get as <laughs> naked as we wanted. And then just so happened to carry. It was the 90s, man. A lot of things went down. Yeah. Um, so I don't remember anything. I mean, I think I, I'd probably karaoke to Chinese songs as often as I did or Korean songs <laughs> wow. as, much as I did to English songs. So awesome. I don't know if I was going to do, I don't know what I would do, man. Maybe, I don't know, get me in here one night and get you come to Red Tail and have, get some karaoke. <laughs> Maybe we can all go together. <laughs> um, since we are here to talk about the one year anniversary, um, I know that we're recording this kind of right after the actual date, but the celebrations are going through the end of July 4th weekend, correct? Correct. Can you tell people what they can, what they got going on if they come in during um, the anniversary? Absolutely. So we have, you know, majority of our partnerships have, you know, have participated. So, you know, we have, uh, there's a specialty cocktail here, Kitty Kitty in Famous Foods. Um, Doghouse is participating. They're doing a four course, like a prefix menu. So something for the more casual diner to, to enjoy. Um, and then Fuhu, I think, is doing a, a, a special dessert. Yeah. dessert. With ch right. Cherry and lychee dessert. Very nice. Cool. And then we have uh, Carver Steak is going to participate. They're also doing a dessert, but we have Kusunori and Genting Palace is are both doing a prefix course with a cocktail. So that includes, uh, I, th I think they both have A5 Tokushima Wagyu on there. So kind of elevated, you know, the menu to be something, you know, special for our guests since it's our, uh, our one-year anniversary. Viva's doing like a lobster taco with uh, Iberico uh, chorizo and... So there's this, there's a nice nice array of offerings uh, for our guests, and we're starting that on the 30th, 30th through the 4th. So there we go. I am actually I'm scrolling through here and I'm looking for the resorts world list on um, Neon on Feast, Neon your, Feast, your go-to <laughs> app for all dining yes. in Las Vegas. So, that's Neon Feast, right? So I look at all the restaurants that are uh, on here. Um, Alley Lounge on 66. Oh, what happened with that? It was all Starlight on 66, and then like one week I was about to go up there, and they're like, "Don't go to Starlight. You go to Alley." 
which I didn't know how to pronounce. Any any good dirt behind the renaming that I need to know? Hundred <laughs> percent honest. It caught me off guard as well. I was like Starlight. They're like Starlight. It's now LA. I'm like, oh, LA. LA is, I guess, short for the Allergen Aesthetics. That was in partnership, you know, and they got the, I guess, they got the rights to kind of rename the uh, the lounge and. That's what it is now. So Well, that's on our list it's, for places to go for, with a breathtaking view. It's an amazing view up there, but also the food is remarkably solid. Yes. Like it, it feels like a kind of place that you would go if, um, you know, like at the end of the night when you've already eaten, right? Mm-hmm. But then I look at those little bites menus and like there's a great steak tartare that I remember having. Yep. There are some solid dishes up there. So how would you describe the cuisine up there? So, hidden gem. Hidden gem on the property. Chef Chen. Um, he worked around the world, uh, Dubai. He worked with uh, Todd English as well, um, but super talented chef. Um, and I would say the food is, you know, it's an elevated, you know, lounge menu, small bites. Um, his Wagyu sliders are probably one of the best I've, I've had in, in this town. I mean, it's, it's simple, but executed just right. Yeah. Um, and he does a, a small bourbon chicken, um, bourbon chicken glazed uh, chicken bites out of this world and he had, he just kind of twisted up with a little ch- uh, crispy um, crispy garlic garlic chili sauce I mean it's, it's phenomenal his lobster rolls are on point he does a special once in a while he'll do a, a lamb spare rib Oh, sticky man. lamb spirit. And I've got to say, like, I came and I did my, my media weekend because nice people invite the press in and it's <laughs> it's awesome. And I did go to check out Zook, but very, very quickly because at my age, it's and I was never really a big club person. I mean, unless you're handing out MDMA at the door, I'd, I've got no reason to be in a club. And, and you're not. Let's make that clear. Casino people, they're not. So that's why I don't go there. Um, but um, but keep LA, digging, keep digging. LA, I feel like is a great place that you go to like it's if if you are of that bottle service a lap of luxury but you're just not into the edm or whatever music is playing you go up to la you feel very civilized up there very i mean you get to look down on the entire strip quite literally in many ways and i just absolutely love it also you know this as long as i'm saying things that are going to get me in trouble sit yourself um just right within eyesight of that um that uh, telescope because everybody bends over to look into the telescope and male and female alike some nice asses that you get to t- look at while they <laughs> lean over to look at the views and you know they're peeping in a window across the street so you don't have to feel bad about looking their asses yeah yeah i know nobody else endorses Being my reporting views reporting straight to hr but um, this. <laughs> yes well that's why i don't work here <laughs> uh, i'm just saying it's I, I like it up there for a lot of reasons. It's great. Other places that made the Neon Feast list, um, Brezza, of course. I think one of the best Italian restaurants in town. Uh, Carver Steak. We just added Carver Steak to the list. We wanted to give them a, lo- a while. I mean, we only had 10 strip steakhouses on the Neon Feast list. It was pretty, in my opinion, a lot of people had to love it, and they couldn't have just been obsessed with it in the first month of operation. So we added it to Neon Feast the same week that um, the Weekly gave them you know, best steakhouse. So clearly the... Verdict is in, and Carver Steak is crushing it. So congratulations to you guys on that. Craig's Vegans on our vegans list. Doghouse was on a list that Nolan Dalla put together for me for best places to um, get food while you're betting on games, right? And I think yep. he's absolutely right. Fuhu's on our list for um, best brunch. Kusanori is on our list, I think, for the Robata. Or no, Teppanyaki. Tep- you have Teppanyaki yeah. in there, right? We do. So on yes. that list. Viva by Ray Garcia. We, t- we touched on it briefly, but, I mean, he's such a superstar L.A. chef. How has it been? been and you know that we have such a heavy la audience here how's that been going is everybody digging are people catching on to it absolutely and we just launched um they are doing their their lunch 
starting oh fifth july 5th okay yep. well that sounds cool then yeah and, and so- it's, it's his his cuisine is his food is it's so funny because he did uh when we did the pre-opening or actually the opening day of the tdr our yep. team dining room he was part of you know one of the chefs that kind of featured to the team members and he did this simple roasted chicken dish but the steps, the procedures that he went through, the brining, the air drying, the roasting, the right humidity, moisture content in the oven, I mean, <laughs> probably one of the best yes, roasted yes. chicken thigh I've ever had. And we were just like mind blown. Okay. That sounds good. You may yeah. stay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you got the team members excited, right? Right. So um, No, I've had some great meals in there. I think the only dish that I didn't like, I can't remember what it was at the top of my head, but it was a dish that when I looked at it on the menu, see, I, I have a bad habit of when I see a dish on the menu that goes, that looks like something Al Mancini would hate. I always say, let me order it anyway, because maybe this will be the chef that convinces me. And that there was one dish that didn't, but that was my own fault for whatever I ordered. Everything else in there has been like, it's been a knockout. I love that so many places in here have those outdoor patios. Mm-hmm. That's one of them, which yep. I really enjoy. One last thing I have to touch on, because we are, you know, got to move on to other things but wally's now i thought i knew a lot about wally's i've eaten there quite a few times had some um very great meals i told you eric lulier is a chef whose career i've been following for a very long time mm-hmm. i never knew you could go downstairs in wally's until emmett smith threw a little party down there and the next thing you know i'm walking down these steps and there's like a really funky speakeasy i'm told that that's not really open to the public's private event space very new york city east village in the 90s as far as i feel like right um yep, yep. what's the what's the deal with that private event space private event space for for the time being right you know there's plans i mean it to your point, it's a, when people see it, they're like mind blown and like, wow, this is like a hidden gem, um, which it is. And, you know, we're trying to do, we'll, we'll see what happens in the future, whether we, you know, try to get some more exposure. Um, and, and there could, who knows, who knows where it could lead to. But How many people does it hold? It's a big space. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a big, yeah. It's huge. big space. So I've been told that, uh, like, you know, if you're, if you happen to be a headliner at the theater, that may be where they entertain guests afterwards. I don't know if there's any truth to that. I don't expect uh, anyone man, to sign you know, on okay. or off, but, you know, just telling you the, what I hear yeah. out on the street. <laughs> you know, oh, I mean, Wally's has also been doing a lot of great events. I mean, you know, um, that, that tequila, tequila festival, festival you guys did up on the roof, that was amazing. Um, and a lot of work. <laughs> no lines and great tequilas yeah. and beautiful weather. They're overlooking the Vegas skyline. So that space, I hope you're yeah. going to be taking more advantage of as well. Absolutely. Congratulations on a great year. I have, as a diner, I have loved being in this place. I actually just love the vibe of this entire resort. There are a few places I haven't checked out, and that's just because there's only so many days in a week. I need to get into Kusanori. I need to get into Genting Palace. But every place that I've dined here, I've loved, man. So everyone, thanks for your time. Happy anniversary. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you very much for having us on. Still to come. Enter the world of pine dining. This is Food and Loathing. That sound means it's time for the news. And the biggest news I've come across this week is Pine Dining, a summer chef cookout series to be held at Mount Charleston on the site of the Old Lodge. Rich, you remember the old Mount Charleston Lodge, Just right? barely. I've only been up there once or twice, and I don't, I'm not sure I even saw the lodge. And now, well, there's no lodge to see anymore. Oh, man, I think every dog I've ever known has um, stayed in one of those cabins by where the lodge <laughs> used to be. Every yeah. dog I've ever owned, not okay. everyone I've ever yeah, known. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and I've had some interesting hot tub experiences in those cabins, well. too. But 
can't get into that. Um, but anyway, we, it was a great loss when the lodge at Mount Charleston burned down. But we are now hearing that they are not only going to be rebuilding it, but before they rebuild it, they are putting the site to use. And they're going to host this summer cookout series. This looks great. It, it looks absolutely fantastic. And you know, it was funny. So th- let me give you some of the details. It's hosted in what they call, quote, an elevated temporary structure with panoramic windows for 360 <laughs> degree views of the mountain with access to indoor and outdoor we're, seating. We're going for the record on how many times we use the word elevated in a single episode. I think. Elevated. Yeah. That was Elevate Magazine was that pop magazine that of Beth Schwartz used to do. Um, but anyway, uh, this has nothing to do Sorry, with Sorry, I ruined your, your, your mojo there. That's okay. My mojo is durable. Un- unruinable. I have durable mojo. Yeah, okay. um, so, look, this is going to be a series of chefs that come out all summer long, and they're going to be doing two different types of events, Saturday Chef Cookouts, um, which are going to be cookout-style food stations with samplings curated by individual chefs or chef collaborations. Of course, bar service, because this course. is Vegas. Um, then on Sundays, the Chef's Table Dinners, which um, intimate VIP Chef's Table Dinners. Chefs will walk small groups of guests through a course menu, creating an intimate Chef's Table dining experience that includes food and beverage pairings. So this course. just sounds badass. And then yeah. I started looking at it. My first thought when I saw this is like, Ah, kind of like Whiskey in the Wilderness, like Justin Kingsley Hall used to do back before COVID. And then I looked down, and there's his (laughs) name, like, second on the list of people who are doing this. First on the list, and hopefully we're going to be hearing from him very shortly, Chef James Trees of Esther's Kitchen is going to be there on July 23rd and 24th. So he'll be doing a Saturday and a Sunday event. Um, of course, of Esther's. If you don't know who James Trees is, you shouldn't be listening to us. I mean, you yeah, you should, but you this. haven't been listening so far. <laughs> then on July 30th and 31st, Justin Kingsley Hall, a man who loves cooking with open fire, who loves cooking in the outdoors, the man who yeah. brought us whiskey in the wilderness for so many years. He's going to be there on the 30th and 31st. Oh, I should say from James, proceeds from his event will go to the ALS Association. Yep. Justin's on the 30th, 31st, will go to the Cupcake Girls. Uh, then on August 6th, Colin Fukunaga of Fuku Burger is joining forces with Dan Coughlin of um, the Thai. Proceeds for their event will be going to benefit the SPCA. Um, August 13th and 14th, Nicole Brisson of Breza Barzazu and Amari is going to be there. And proceeds from her events are going to the Anne Saxelby Legacy Fund. Uh, so there are more chefs that are going to be added to this thing as it comes on. Um, and you know what? I'm going to have to throw out the, um, when we talk to James in a second, we'll throw out the, the website there for tickets because tickets for this first batch are already on sale. They're going to have, by the way, there's no parking up on the mountain. So they're going to be running shuttles from yeah. various spots within the city. That way you can get all sorts of liquored up and not have to worry <laughs> about how to get home. Yeah, from, uh, for at least from the mountain. Yeah, at least from the mountain. Um, I don't know how you get home from the bus stop, but it's Vegas. Things are open yeah. 24 hours sober up. Um, anyway, so we did speak to James Trees about what he has planned. We're really excited to be the first ones. I like that we're always the guinea pigs, the first ones to kind of jump across the line and do something. Um, because that means that any rules that have been set, we can immediately break them, which is always our goal. Uh, but uh, my dad and my uh, stepmom met and started working together up at the lodge like 25 years ago. So this is a really cool thing for me to be able to be a part of and for the Ellis family to kind of like bring us in and allow us to uh, be the uh, the test case of this uh, this pine dining uh, that we're going to do Um 
is pretty awesome. What we've decided to do for our concept is we're going to be highlighting all four restaurants, and that includes uh, debuting some of the food that we have been working on for uh, the Aristocrat, which is what we're going to be doing in the Esther space once Esther's moves over to its new location. So we're going to be doing a few classic red sauce things, and maybe like the idea is that for every uh, restaurant to have three or four dishes. So we're looking at doing about 16 different items, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Now, wait, this is over two days, right? You're doing two different concepts. Story, so, right? so we're doing, uh, we're doing two different things. We're doing one day, which is going to be almost like a hangout, eat around four different stations, four different chefs. We'll have so 16 dishes on that one day. Yeah. On that one day. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And that's going to be like, and we really want to like, we want to have people come up and like, and, and obviously, you know, my rule with events is we don't do dishes that we are currently doing on the menu. Mm -hmm. So we will not be doing things that people have seen before from all Salido, from Esther's, from um, from Ada's, and we're going to have obviously Jackson will be up there. Uh, we'll have uh, Chef Steve and uh, Chef Dylan, who Dylan, who's been with me since <laughs> when we were back in LA years before I even moved uh, back home to Vegas. He's going to be my chef at the Aristocrat, and it's funny because we just were both in France and we're really excited about a lot of the same things, and so debuting that. We're going to have Kat put together wine pairings with uh, Aaron and with Carlo and Kester. So this is going to be a really great day. And there's most important thing that we haven't talked about this pine dining. Mm -hmm. It's 80 degrees up there, uh -huh. which is the most important factor <laughs> of getting all of my chefs and all my teams up which, there. If you're listening in another market, that sounds hot. But for no. us, that's nice. That's no, 25 yeah. degrees yeah. cooler exactly. than uh, our current yeah. location. Yes. And then obviously um, the other side of that is the second day is going to be a brunch. So we're going to bring people up and we're going to be cooking brunch for them outside um, up, at the, up at the lodge. And that's just something that we're excited about. And I think we're going to do like 125 to 150 people max out at brunch. And then we want to bring, um, I think it's going to be three rounds of a hundred that we're going to be doing. Uh, we're going to be doing a shuttle trip. So basically they're going to have shuttles at Ellis Island. You park there and then you're going to go up and then you're going to bring, have people be coming. And you're going to do 300 covers in the forest. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Are we going to be like drinking on the bus, strippers on the bus? What are we I would like to hope so. I mean, like, I mean, yeah. when in doubt, drink on the bus. Like, <laughs> But it's also those two different times, right? Like we've all gone on like those like wine, uh, like the wine like treks. And in the morning at six o'clock in the morning, everyone's like cold and tight. And they're like, uh, well, I don't trust all these people. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, you're just like rolling around on the bus, laughing with people, getting smashed, drinking all the wine that you had. Like, I would love for it to be like that. If we could do that, yeah. I'm in. <laughs> well, it sounds great, man. I'm looking forward to it, man. Thanks so much for telling us a bit about it. Our pleasure. Yeah. Pine dining. Yeah. Coming soon. Coming soon. July 28th. And quick reminder, you can get tickets for that at mountcharlestonlodge.com forward slash pine dining. That is M-T-C-H-A-R-L-E-S-T-O-N-L-O-D-G-E.com forward slash pine dining. All with one a P. word. Pine with pine. a P. Pine. Like you pine for me. If you subscribe to the Review Journal, I enthusiastically direct your attention to a long, comprehensive piece written by Jason Brazelin. On one of our favorites and a one-time co-host, Jamie Tran, 
Jamie talks about her family, her uh, road to following in her father's footsteps in the kitchen, how she owned black sheep for about a year before anybody in her family knew, and, of course, her time on Top Chef Portland, which, by the way, is where I will be over the weekend. Little boys day out and dinner at one of my all-time go-to joints, open since 1944, the Ringside Steakhouse. I will report back next week. You have been to Portland a lot. Since we started this podcast. Yeah, it's about the only place I have been. I went last fall to see a couple of football games. I was there a month ago for the planned sort of uh, race and parade and stuff, a couple of things I didn't do. And this was a sudden thing because a friend of mine's in town uh, doing uh, some broadcasting that I haven't seen for a couple of, about five years, a guy from London. So a bunch of us are coming up for that. Well, you know, when I finally do start um, Neon Feast Portland, I think yeah. you're going to have to be my man up there. I will, I will, I will transfer to the, uh, the satellite office. The Portland <laughs> office. Hey, one more bit of news about Loco. That's that new food delivery co-op that we've spoken about many times here on Food and Loathing. I've actually attended a few meetings with their local team and the man who created the idea, John Sewell, over the past few weeks. Um, they've, they're redesigning their app and they're looking for some more restaurant partners and even some new investors. Uh, so, you know, I've been sitting in on some, some kind of cool meetings. I'm yeah. very interested in people that are taking on the bullshit giant food delivery services who I think suck as much as Yelp sucks in the, um, restaurant <laughs> recommendation business. I mean, you know, so anytime somebody's taking on those Silicon Valley giants, I'm in favor of them. Um, so I was excited to hear what went on, but then I, I wanted to talk to sort of the chefs and the restaurateurs who might be able to get involved with it, rather than me trying to summarize what they're doing and vouching and all that kind of shit and getting it wrong. Uh, I had breakfast this morning with Aaron Bradley, who's the owner of the Juice Box and of uh, Mr. Tater, and he's a big part of this relaunch. So I asked him to explain it, because who better than him? It's been about a year since uh, Loco started, and we've had uh, moderate success. We've had a lot of restaurants sign up. Many of them are doing great volume as well. But like with the life cycle of any business, you got to grow and evolve. Otherwise, you'll fall off a cliff and go away. So that's where we're at in the life cycle now. So we've gotten a lot of feedback from our restaurant partners and our customers as well. A lot that the app is a little clunky, which we agree with, um, both on the customers uh, facing side and also on the restaurant side. So currently we are looking at new tech and it's actually almost ready to go as well. That's a much better experience. It's a lot more interactive. It's a lot more intuitive, just easier to use, quicker load times, all that jazz. You know, we'll never be able to compete at the highest level, say Uber, because we don't have $4 billion worth of investing. People decide to throw at us every quarter or so. Um, so we're a small scrappy outfit, but we've done very well. And that's the next step is really creating a better user experience both from the uh, customer and then also our restaurant partners um, so that's the big part of it but also now we need to reorganize a little Kristen did an incredible job getting this off the ground and um, Kristen from Taco Terry and, and of course a great she's a great advocate for the city of Las Vegas she's somebody who lobbied to get the um, the delivery fees capped during the pandemic for the restaurants where they could charge the restaurants and she was the original franchisee or local co-op director here in las vegas and now she's changing her role i just want to bring people up to date on who we're talking about so now if you could take it from there thanks sure, absolutely so uh kristen from taco Terrian, she was instrumental in um really helping protect restaurants when covid first hit from predatory delivery fees from Uber Eats, Grubhub, DoorDash, etc. Um, and she then um, 
said there's got to be an alternative and reached out to other platforms that could maybe um, get started here in Vegas. And when she started doing that, she brought me into the fold. I was a big advocate. Um, okay, a uh, big advocate for um, helping cap the fees, but also I wanted to see the alternative. So I've been with Loco since day one. And I really do believe very heavily in it. Not only have I put a lot of time into it, but I've also put some, you know, my own money into it. And as someone that just started a restaurant when it first started, putting any kind of money is a big expense. So I truly believe in this. But so besides the technology side, we now want to launch, but it requires a little reorganization because people are busy. All right. Um, God bless Taco Tarion. They're expanding very quickly with new um, locations here in Vegas and also out of state. So uh, now the torch has to be passed. Um, so Kristen can focus on her primary business. So as someone that's been with them since day one, I've kind of taken up some of those duties, but um, I'm also a busy person, so we need more people uh, help as well. That's where the reorganization comes in. So the creator and owner, uh, or creator and franchisor of Loco, John, um, who uh, has set it up in several markets, is now going to help us, again, reestablish and get that foundation and the new tech to roll out. For that to happen always requires a little bit more capital than we have. We've done pretty well with the funds that we started with, which was pretty meager, frankly. Um, but we've been at it a year, and we've serviced over 60,000-plus deliveries, which is incredible. Um, but the next step for us to grow is finding people that are truly dedicated with their time as part of the company, and then also some capital to pay them as well. So that's where we're at now. So what we're asking really from the community is, besides ordering, and thank you so much if you already do, is also to help us get new restaurant partners that are interested, either in signing up on the platform or people, um, restaurants to invest in the platform, or even private investors if they want to see Loco take off. Um, if we do it right, it can be incredibly beneficial to the community and um, profitable for the people that help with us as well. The big thing is that we're a co-op. We don't have to pay out uh, shareholders that are in Silicon Valley or elsewhere. We reinvest back in the community. So what profits we do make go directly to the people that have helped us grow, the restaurants that have helped us grow, even to the customers. The more that you order from us and the more profitable we become, we can lower delivery fees, which is something you never hear from Uber Eats or Grubhub or DoorDash as well. So in that, we're very unique um, and community-focused. Cool. So you are looking for people to sign up to be on the platform. The reason I wanted to have you on, I have hopefully a few restaurant owners and a few <laughs> chefs that listen to this podcast. So you're looking for people just to sign up and be on part of the platform. You're also looking for people to put up money. I think a couple things that are worth noting is that you guys pay a pretty solid wage to your delivery drivers. Yes. Um, and as a result, you hire people who are well-trained, who might not, who, no, who definitely will not be eating the French fries out of an order <laughs> and um, not the kind of people who are going to look at a group of orders and see which is the best tip and leave the ones with the worst tip sitting beside. So from a customer standpoint, you're offering a lot. For an investor standpoint, uh, actually for a restaurant standpoint, I think you're offering a lot just to sign up and be used on the platform right. because they're getting quality deliveries where their food's going to be better off when it, it arrives. What about for an investor standpoint? Because um, it seems like as somebody who's tried to raise some money for some projects in my day, you're not looking for a massive amount. You're not um, coming in with these venture capital dreams of you know raising a billion dollars so that you can hire um, Luke Skywalker to be in a commercial or any shit like that. So what are you looking for from
from people just to give the basis of that. Sure, absolutely. So, you know, compared to, say, Uber, where it hires uh, Mark Hamill or Luke Skywalker for that, we don't need that. Um, because we're small community-based and really just in this market, you know, um, to participate and become an investor, to buy a share would be about $2,500. So nothing big at all. And we're going to cap that at um, about 100 shares. So, you know, we're looking for about a quarter million dollars total. Um, and we've done an excellent job fundraising a good portion of that. We're still a little short, but nothing terrible. Um, but again, it's not like we're asking going IPO and asking for a huge uh, cash injection. We're just looking for a little bit to make sure that our drivers are well paid. So they won't eat your fries. So they will pick up the orders that occasionally have no tips, though you should always be tipping your drivers as well. Um, and the great thing about Loco, too, is because the you know we have such a small driving force, if someone was to do something out of bounds and eat your fries, it can be addressed immediately and they can be taken off the schedule immediately as well, as opposed to dealing with DoorDash for three weeks to try to get that refund or to let the complaint be known. Okay, so if anybody's interested in contacting you, where the, where can they contact you about this? Sure, absolutely. So they can always contact us at our website, um, which is uh, uh, lococoop.vegas. Um, Otherwise, just info at lococoop.vegas. Um, they can also reach out to me personally at Aaron at thejuiceboxlv.com. Um, always happy to help. Um, really just looking for some more community engagement. It's treated us so well already. Just looking to take it to the next step. And that's about it for this episode of Food and Loathing. Thanks to all of our guests. We want to thank Chef Devin and Chef Joe here. We want to thank um, Chef James Trees for coming in, Aaron for, for chatting with us. Thank all of you guys for um, taking some time to be part of this anniversary Food and Loathing podcast. And also thanks to all of the guests we've had over the past year, oh, which yeah. has got to be like probably 200 of the best chefs in the world, I think. Indeed. So. Help. Tell a friend about Food and Loathing, of course. Even if we've been here and worn out our welcome, we're not going anywhere. Spread the word on social media. Find all the handles at theneonmohawk.com. Reach us directly by email, info at foodandloathing.vegas. And if you haven't done it yet, of course, download the Neon Feast app. Use it to find your next Vegas dining destination, Neon Feast. And if you cannot get enough of my voice... You can also see my pretty face and my silly hair every other Wednesday on the CW Las Vegas. I'm there usually around 8.15 in the morning, looking like I just jacked myself up on some caffeine. Oh, it takes a couple Red Bulls for me to do 8.15 in the morning on TV. No kidding. And catch Al all weekend long on the Neon Feast update on the radio. That would be The Vibe, 99.7 in Vegas, 98.1 in the high desert, and 98.9 along the river. With producer Rich Johnson, I am Al Mancini. Stay hungry.